Season one, episode three, Safety Educator One. The VR Podcast, your realm for all things immersion tech in education and business. Prepare to be transported. Here are your hosts, Alex, Stephen, Amanda, and James. Safety and security online have been issues going back to the beginning of the internet. There are special concerns for teachers and parents that persist today as more and more people consume an ever-increasing amount of media daily and participate in social networks. In a main quote in the book, Ready Player One, the protagonist Wade Watts states, In the Oasis, you could become whomever and whatever you wanted to be without ever revealing your true identity because your anonymity was guaranteed. How can teachers think about anonymity and digital identity in today's world? How might issues of safety and security play out in virtual reality in the future? What is the best way for us to guide our children and students with regards to internet safety and privacy? And what are some resources to help? In this episode, we address these issues and more. Looking at safety and security in the movie, Artemis mentions that you aren't supposed to use your real name in the Oasis because it could carry dangerous real-world implications. This is a real issue today. We have to be conscious of what students are doing online and what they have access to. So I want to open up the conversation about safety and security online, and I want you to tell me what, um, what your takeaways were that either made you cringe from Ready Player One or ones that made you question what you think about safety and security in the digital age. Uh, James, that's a great question. Spoiler alert, too. We're going to be talking about the movie. So if you haven't seen it, go see Ready Player One. Go see it. Come back and listen to all of our podcasts, at least the uh, episode one, two, and three. So to answer your question, James, in talking about safety and thinking about safety and security online, I thought the movie that dealt, the movie, the way the movie dealt with safety and security was a little bit troubling, specifically based on sort of what I'm seeing today. So in the movie, the main characters are portrayed mainly as anonymous avatars. Now, I'm not living in a virtual reality world or anything like that, but I also don't, you know, I'm also seeing that more and more people these days, in terms of sharing information online, whether it's through a blog or through their, um, their Instagram or their Twitter or their Facebook, what I'm seeing is that more and more people are being authentic online and not being anonymous. So the trajectory that I'm observing is that, you know, from maybe 10, 15 years ago, when more and more people were anonymous online, I'm seeing a shift towards more and more people being authentic online. And I think that trend would carry forward into virtual reality. And I think when people are designing their avatars, and the hope is that that would continue and that people will be their authentic selves when they do develop an avatar in a virtual reality world. That's what, what it, I'm thinking. 
What about a divided authenticity? For example, so I have my Facebook and I have my Twitter. On my Facebook, I can join groups and I can be the divided professional that I am and hone in on my professional skills and qualities. But on my timeline and on my Facebook page, that's my page, my space, I'm going to post family stuff. It's the same in virtual reality. If I'm in alt space or rec room, I'm going to tend to be, maybe be a little more, you know, anonymous and, and not my authentic self. But if I'm in engage or roomy and it's in an educational context, then, you know, I'm going to be my authentic professional self. That's okay too. I do think there are some consequences that come along with that. And as educators, we have this kind of responsibility when we are online to portray ourselves a certain way because it doesn't take a lot for us to lose a student's trust or 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 parents or parents oh, yeah and i think that yes we can have that we can have that separation to maybe sort of safeguard how we really want to interact online like we hide ourselves but are we really ever hidden i mean doesn't wade get figured out by IOI in the movie? True. Actually, Amanda, that whole divided online profile thought that you just brought up, I don't do that. Like today as an adult with my PLNs, I'm just Steven Sato everywhere, right? And I think that that's okay as adults. And speaking to children, I think it's a matter of how are we shielding them and what communities are they participating in? And so for instance, it's, Use, it's using a, 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 a fake name or not their first and last name, but what, what are they doing online? So, so Stephen, I, I agree with you. Um, so I took my daughter with me to see Ready Player One, and it was a great opportunity for me to discuss anonymity versus authenticity online and digital safety. So she's 10, and while a lot of the 80s nostalgia was lost on her, that resonated with her. The the danger that Artemis and Parsifal found themselves in by revealing their identities. And we I took that opportunity to have a conversation with some dangers that might exist doing that in the real world, like today. And she was pretty receptive. She plays Rec Room on Oculus and I tell her to use a fake name, never give away where we live. Yet at the same time, in education, I mean, at what point do we start embracing students and them becoming their authentic selves? At what age? Like, how do we prepare them for that? Because we have to prepare them before we put them in the, in, in the environment, I would think. Because just because it's digital doesn't make it something that you can separate psychologically. Even though we say they're going to be maybe have this duality or whatever to protect themselves, they're still going to behave the way that they behave or the way that uh, I guess they really want to behave in the real world. Right. They're going to behave that way online. So how do we curtail the behavior? And what I love is that you took your daughter when she was 10 and having that conversation. Uh, the Social Institute is a really, they're a big proponent of educating what you should do online, not necessarily prohibit, but how do we be proactive and how do we show healthy ways to interact online. So maybe we'll see a little bit more shift where it becomes more safe to be your authentic self in the future, maybe generationally. And then we won't have to worry about it so much for our students or our kids. Uh, for me, going back to the, the safety thing, if we can get to a point where our students are 
clear about how to act safely while they're online engaging with strangers, right? But still wanting that authentic audience so that they can speak and they can express themselves and actually have feedback from a larger, broader audience. I think that's great. But at the same time, I mean, going back to the movie, if we're talking about safety and security online and in the real world and how those things play together, there's that one point in the movie where the stacks are blown up, right? Where IOI is trying to get Parseval to eventually tell him how to get to the first key, right? And so the first thing that I thought of was this idea of swatting. And what uh. is swatting? It's terrible. It's, it's basically <laughs> where people call the cops on, you know, with some sort of fake emergency. And SWAT team is then going to storm this address under the wrong impression, right? So in this particular case in, in Kentucky, uh, excuse me, in um, Kansas. Kansas. I know what you're talking about. Yeah. Right. Exactly. So this was literally over Call of Duty. There was a bet. They were, somebody got angry over a bet and they thought they had the right address. So they call the cops on this fake thing. They go in guns blazing and a random innocent guy by the name of um, Andrew Finch was killed. And so, I, I mean, I believe that beyond our online personas, we, you know, we need to also be conscious of what we're doing online. So we're playing this game, we're using foul language, and we're expressing ourselves in ways that we shouldn't, and we're taking you know, ourselves to places that we shouldn't. So beyond how we re represent ourselves, where are we doing it? And what are we doing online? Very important. I just want to add something that popped into my mind when Amanda was speaking, and that, that ties into Stephen's point is, you know, watching a movie like this with your kids, it brings up a great opportunity to talk about digital identity and representing yourself online anonymously or authentically. I like the website Common Sense Media. Absolutely. Great, can, great. Great resource for parents, great resource for teachers. What I like about it is it gives you rough age ranges for appropriateness for films but it also gives you some talking points. So some, it gives you some ideas of topics to bring up to speak about children with after watching a movie. So not only does it, it make sure that it, it helps you make sure that the movie is appropriate without having to go watch every single movie before you go take your kids to see it. It, it gives you that guidance, but then it also gives you some talking points for having a meaningful conversation after the fact and I think digital identity would be a great thing to talk about with kids after watching Ready Player One. Absolutely. Another great resource is um, being internet awesome. Mm -hmm. Google has a great program that teaches digital citizenship and safety, and it's a great place for teachers to start if they're looking for a way to have that conversation with students. It's a great idea. Yep. Yeah. I, I really like that as well. I got a torn between common sense media's digital citizenship mm -hmm. curriculum and internet awesome. But what I found is use while, both. Well, you can. And I think what's important is as educators and especially as admin to get to incorporate these initiatives is that we're being very mindful, not only of, okay, here's this curriculum. It's great. But being responsive to our communities that we're in, because it's different for different clientele, for um, different areas of the United States, of the world. And so that's why I like partnering with companies that are specific about training with digital citizenship and kind of ingraining that, not as just digital citizenship, but just being good citizens in general. I do want to bring up this one point in the movie that I thought was interesting that kind of paints the picture of safety and security. 
And this is before Wade is found out. And he's not really found out. He kind of outs himself. And when he does that, Artemis flips out on him. And what I want to kind of get to is what are her concerns? What really are her concerns? Is she concerned for Parsifal, for herself, for people, the population in general? What is she really concerned about? And should we have similar concerns for our students or ourselves when it comes to those type of parallels? James, that's a, that's a great point. And, um, you know, to be honest, that moment in the movie when they're in the dance club and he says, you know, his real name to her. And again, you know, spoiler alert, you know, so, um, that move, that moment took me by surprise when I was watching the film. Um, because it hadn't occurred to me that everybody was so anonymous in the Oasis and what revealing your real identity could potentially do at that moment. So when he does, you know, as the avatar Parzival, when he discloses that his name is Wade Watts to Artemis, her concern is that, hey, you know, this can impact your personal safety in the real world if they know who you are. And I think at that moment, he doesn't really realize that. Do you think he or doesn't he, realize it? Or do you I think he's, he's just way too idealistic. He thinks that this is just a game. Yeah, he maybe is. So. And and Artemis, honorable, right? Artemis has had experience outside of it. It's happened to her family members and it's had a oh, meeting. That's a great that. point, Amanda. Yeah. That's a great point. So there's um, a history there already with IOI. Yeah. So she, so I think her warning him is, it sounds like it's because of her experience and ultimately him revealing who he is ends up leading to his aunt uh, and her boyfriend's death when IOI blows up the stacks where he has been living. She had good reason to warn him and say, you know, hey, this is not okay. Now, I've grown up with the internet, really, and I've witnessed a shift around internet anonymity. From when in the early days when I used to use the internet, everything had to be anonymous and that was, people were concerned and it was a safety thing. To today, when what, what was your username, Alex? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Come on, everybody on three. Well, what what was your old username or title? So, so the funny know. thing is, at least with with I Twitter, can't remember with Twitter, I've I've kept my old lies, username, lies. Right, it's geo oh. parad geo paradigm. Right, I never actually. Oh my gosh, googling that right now for. I never went. 80s. I never went and set up a new Alex Chaucer. I think I did set up like an Alex Chaucer one on Twitter, but it just points back to my Geo Paradigm account because I had so much sort of you know social capital built up there, and that was my that was my identity online for such a long time. I I didn't want to abandon that completely. So now you've got websites like LinkedIn, where obviously that's professional, right? Professional front, and like you mentioned, Amanda, Facebook. May some people choose that to be more personal. Some people use Facebook very professionally as well. Um, Twitter, I've seen used authentically, but I've also seen Twitter used very much anonymously and for, you know, for, uh, for trolling for a lot of, yeah. I mean, it's, it's been in the news quite a bit and I, 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 you know, what you mentioned in before Amanda, that perhaps we will maintain these sort of dual dualities or even like sort of try, you know, try identities of, of multiple sort of levels of, um, who you are. 
in different platforms. Since we do that right now with social media, it's very likely we'll do that potentially in the virtual world. Well, how much of that do we do in our real lives too? I mean, look, when I go to work and I'm working with other educators, there's maybe a hand few that really know me personally. Right, right. Yeah, that's true. And what they know of you is either based on, well, what they dig up on Google, social media, the resume you give them, a video. Um, but you're right. How, how authentic is that? I mean, how many of us would <laughs> have jobs if what, what's at the core of our heart is what we actually put down on all those things? We, I think by nature. It doesn't sound like you, James. I was about to say, I, I, mean, know, I, I think my heart's uh, pretty pure. Yeah, well, I'm saying we're, we're reserved by nature because we're, it's a self-preservation. We're human. Right. Yeah, and we don't want to be vulnerable. As educators, we are unfortunately held to a more than human standard sometimes. Absolutely. So we try to hide our humanity. Yeah, well, and that's we deep. definitely. That's deep, Amanda. Especially the things that are hot button topics, right? I don't know. We're going to have to, we'll consult the judges. So I, I, I will say, you know, at least at the college level, you know, there's definitely a shift towards students setting up their own websites while in college and trying to highlight some of the best examples of their professional work, because that can serve them well when they are going out into the, the real world and applying for jobs and applying for internships. If they've got some you know, some high quality content that reflects some of their academic work and shows their professional side at the college level, that's been deemed as a good thing to have. Um, oh, even going into high school. So high school, I taught at the yeah. STEM Academy and, and, and for middle school, and they're already interviewing and having to have portfolios going into Savannah Arts or the, the High School of Engineering. And I mean, I started websites with my students in sixth, seventh, and eighth grade. Of course, I had parent permission, and I used Weebly, Walled Garden. Does this all boil down to maybe how, wh who do we roll with? Who, what are, where, what are our communities? Who yeah, homies are. <laughs> so like, for you, wonderful three people, I'm fine with using my name, and I'm fine with being very authentic and having, you know, certain parts of my personality come out. On the flip side, though, if I was a part of a Facebook group called We Rob Banks, then I'm pretty sure... <laughs> <laughs> ultimately I'd be rolling with the wrong crew and some things are some bad things. Some negativity is going to come from that, right? Somebody's going to want something from me or I'm ultimately going to want something from somebody else. Baby and, drama. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so I think, I mean, like it really, it's choices too, right? So if, and I think James, you touched on this, but like, if it's not something that we're going to want to say or do online, then don't represent yourself like that, or excuse me, in the real world then don't represent yourself like that online. And, and maybe it's okay then to be Steven Sato, that's my handle, right? And all yeah. down to a very young age. Yeah, well, exactly. But I, but I also think that there's another component to that when we think about age, where a young child can absolutely be their authentic self and be a positive image online. But it's how do people respond to that and how do people use that data soul and pancake. that information? What'd you say? I said soul pancake, kid president. Do I know this? I don't know this thing. You don't I know, know kid I know, president? I know kid president. Okay. Well, he, so he, he actually, uh, he goes by kid president, but he's this 
big force of positivity for kids and he's played in schools like at least in in Georgia when I was in Georgia but he he also reveals his real identity he does have this alias but yeah it's a perfect example or super awesome Sylvia so I think that's a perfect example of where you know there's potential benefits by being authentic online and I think in the past that's where you know being authentic and developing your Twitter you know for, for teachers, a lot of times it's a, a, a personal learning network. If you represent yourself authentically and you're upfront about your interests and you try to help people, I think the benefits far outweigh the risks. But some, um, some educators with, are very hesitant. <laughs> but, what, but what I'm saying is, you know, maybe that's more personality-based, but I think- Oh, I think it's liability-based. It's liability-based and it's, it's district-wide in some places. There are still rules that I can walk into that just block everything. Yeah. You know, like I'm a fan of platforms that have walled gardens, like WeVideo. Mm-hmm. You yeah. can have a classroom and you can give permissions to publish things out. Even co-spaces make sharing, you know, forbidden or they have access to share their spaces. Mm-hmm. That gives educators more of an in and helps adopt this policy of sharing and putting stuff online. So, so maybe the key is... You know, we all recognize the value in being authentic online and sharing because the rewards, learning about professional development, learning about new resources, uh, connecting with amazing educators across the country or even across the world. So maybe the key is that we help to change the thinking around administration and maybe their policies around social media to help inspire their teachers to use these resources that they have available to them. Yeah, but what about the liability that administratively and also at the district level, what would be a great opportunity is if there's a learning moment that occurs, mm-hmm. but what if that violates cyberbullying laws, then that creates a scenario where these institutions, these districts are liable. And if, they're, if, it's, if it doesn't come legally, usually what comes next is civil and when that happens, now you're talking about money that's being pulled out of the district to pay for this snafu. So I'm not, but I'm not. Are you, are you talking about you talking about teachers or students? Um, teachers? If something happens with well, teachers and students. Yeah, cyberbullying laws are what they are. To, it, t- students against other students. Yeah, it, typically that's what it is. It's students against mm-hmm. other students. So when you have students interacting in the same environment, let's say that, let's say that you have this wall garden up, but they're interacting with each other. Even though it's not going out to the public, since it is digital, it is online, and there is bullying that takes place that is directed harassment, that is by definition cyberbullying. Then you can run into a situation where the teacher is the one that fostered those things, <laughs> and then well, the teacher's responsibility is to report it and address it, especially if it's within a walled garden and in the platform that they're using. Yeah, but. Also, keep in mind, this is why administration puts up rules like that are, I would say, extreme. Yes, they put up rules that say you cannot sign your your student up for any account without first vetting it through administration or at the district level. And there's a lot of them that do that because I know in the state of Louisiana, we have some of the strictest PII laws for education that there is. And to be honest, even using like uh, the student ID almost pushes it some pushes it a little bit too much. I mean, it's it is a it's a real 
issue that we had to deal with. And I think it actually goes more than just from administrating district. I think now we're talking about legislative. Yeah. So let's, let's separate teachers using social media for their PLN from teachers using social media in the classroom, because I think those are two completely different things. I was referring to sort of the rewards outweighing the risks for teachers being online and interacting with other peers on social platforms. What you're talking about is teachers that are, you know, signing their students up for social media accounts and trying to do classroom activity. Not necessarily social media accounts, educational accounts. We view it as educational. Once it's online, just online, period. Let's just say online. Online in general. Gotcha. Think about this. Uh, G Suite for EDU. Yeah. You're sharing Google Doc. You're online. You're online. So just to summarize this little conversation, I think, you know, I think you need to be very thoughtful if you are going to be using digital technology with students in any way. I, I think when when you're posting yeah, stuff I, online, you're opening yourself up to be a target. Like whether it's a teacher or a student. When I when I started flipping my classroom, I used YouTube. Yep. I posted all of my I posted all of my history videos on government, mm-hmm. and they were positive didactic. Most comments were awesome. I'd get messages from um, Vietnam or um, stu- a student in Pakistan or India saying yep. thank you for posting this video on oligarchy. Mm-hmm. But if you were mean and negative, uh, they they would come in and they would uh, question my ability to teach or just make comments on the content. When I was talking to sixth graders, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, this this is the audience of sixth graders. Thank you for your for your college level um, commentary on on my video. But this mm-hmm. was my audience. So when you interact in the space, you open yourself up to more of those anonymous bullies, those that hide behind the screen. And I think it's a matter of hiding behind anonymity too. I mean, that's, again, that's one of the the problems with anonymity on the internet too. But it's, it's knowing how to separate constructive feedback from garbage and hate talk. All right. So let's move on to some final thoughts. Um, I want to give each of you about 30 seconds to respond, Uh, not quite rapid fire, but very limited response time. And I am going to keep a timer and I'm going to buzz you. Um, So are y'all ready? I'm going to give you all the prompt. Ready. 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 Player one. If anybody gets the VR coin from this episode, it is Steven because he responded and he didn't let those crickets Darn it. come in. That's right. Uh, so, yes. <laughs> so taking into account what we've mentioned today and, you know, we started talking about VR, but we got into really about safety and security online, which is kind of the precursor to the virtual environment right we don't necessarily think of it as vr but it is virtual and it definitely it will translate into virtual reality so what are y'all's takes on or maybe some recommendations that teachers admins district personnel anybody in education something they can do right now to take advantage of the virtual reality benefits but considering any negatives that having an online persona there that there may be. So 30 seconds and we're going to start with Amanda go. The biggest pushback I get is from parents. And when I started integrating YouTube into my classroom, I got pushback initially, but then I did a parent information or education session. When I did that, I had not only 
the parents that had given me pushback on my side, but all the rest of them. So the biggest benefit that I can say, the biggest place to start is to get parents in, have them experience it, have a fact sheet and let them understand how fantastic of a vehicle this is for learning. That was right at 30 seconds. That was beautiful. Perfect. But you still don't get the, the coin. Steven got the coin. Boom. James, that's a great question. Um, the challenge with virtual reality and what we all have to realize is that virtual reality is not a new technology. It is a brand new medium that does things that no other technology has done before. You know, we've had radio, we've had TV, and now we have virtual reality. And the, the types of authentic connections that it enables are going to transform a lot of things in what we do. Our best opportunity is to give students, teachers, and even parents access to this technology so that they can learn how it works and learn how to create with it in library media spaces or maker spaces. We need to give people the opportunity to try it so that they can learn about what it is so that they can feel comfortable moving forward and, and so that teachers can feel comfortable using it with their students. Amanda, to your point, my, my biggest hurdle isn't necessarily parents. Um, they actually really push for VR in our school. It, it often comes down to a lack of understanding, I think, from, from my peers and, and my peers beyond my school site. So if I was to give a couple of recommendations, I think first it would be just educate yourself. So as, as teachers, go out and find those people that are doing it. Uh, talk with them. Expand your PLN to include those are, that are within the uh, immersive in education community. Go out and experiment. You got expeditions out there. Grab your iPhone, grab a cardboard sleeve, try it out. Go to VR experience centers like IMAX or Servios. And finally, dream because VR is not ready yet. Clearly, there's a lot of barriers like cost and content, but we're going to get there. Oculus but, Go. Oh, God. It's coming, it's coming soon. It's coming soon. So get yourself an Oculus Go when it's out for 200 bucks, please. I still love HTC. <laughs> That was a nice little plug you had there. Steven. That was I still great. love HTC. I still love HTC, even though the Oculus Go is under dollars. No, I, I think those are all really good points. And we're going into a frontier where we just don't know yet. And so I really like that you pointed out, Stephen, about educate yourself and staying on top of it because the information coming out is fast and it's serious. Yeah, it is. And so I think that for, from my standpoint, from my position in my employment and also from uh, the aspect of a parent that virtual reality benefits do outweigh the cons, just like social media, the pros outweigh the cons. It's just, we need to be able to educate our young children how to behave as human beings first and let that translate over into virtual environments. So thanks gang for all your insight tonight. And thanks to our listeners for joining us on this journey. If you liked our conversation today, don't forget to check out our other episodes. We also want you to join in on the conversation. Make sure to use hashtag VR podcast to ask questions or comment on VR, immersion technology, or even about the virtual reality podcast. Or who deserves the podcast. Well, me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
Want to hear more or connect with us? Subscribe to the podcast and find us on social media at The VR Podcast.